0: Are you ready to scale? Why not invest three minutes in our scalability index? It's quick, it's easy, and it's got specific guidance. Find it at evokinggenius.com scale. Hello, and welcome again to Genius at Scale. Today's guest is Dave Lee. Dave, tell us a little about yourself and your businesses.
1: Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and share I guess, some learnings and thoughts and failures and successes I've seen quite a bit. I've been involved in both services companies and software companies, big and small, um, went the traditional route of MBA and, and then got into internet startups, helping companies um, start to scale and realized that I was really good at this and went into business for myself and partnered with um, a friend of mine, somebody that worked at one of my former companies, and we started a consulting business called Six Division. And we do consulting and coaching around marketing and sales automation and help people get the most out of their marketing and sales automation tools and processes. And then from that, we spawned a software company. And that software company is a bunch of add-on tools for marketing automation platforms. And then we've started to create more software companies, uh, and I'm just a serial entrepreneur and love creating things. I'm a family guy. I've got a wife and three boys ranging from uh, 12 to 22, and when I have fair, any, any free time, it's either mountain biking or kite surfing or snow skiing. Love, love the outdoors.
0: Wow. Uh, I'm envious. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. So right off the bat, um, you've you've scaled multiple companies. Do you have a definition for how to calculate or count scale, or is it different from product to product?
1: I think it is different from product to product, business to business. But the way that I look at it, and and I've always been in high growth opportunities or companies. Companies that are growing at eighty to five hundred percent per year, so I'm yep. used to that world, and I think um, anything anything that involves uh repetition or or needs to handle multiples of something i I see as a scaling opportunity, sure, and so it can be broken down as Ways to look at it in, in specific roles, um, in departments, in systems, in people, in structures. And it's usually when you need to get more out of something. I need, instead of 100 leads, marketing qualified leads a month, I need 1,000 or 10,000. And that involves roles, systems, people. Like, It becomes a very complex thing. But I think scaling can also be a very simple uh, thing to look at. Um, So role-based, like if uh, a sales rep or a biz dev rep is responding to inquiries and they keep sending the same response and they have to retype the same response every time That is a perfect opportunity to say, oh, I can scale this. And it's specific to my role and it's something simple, but what it does is it saves a ton of time, speeds things up, frees headspace. And so I'm used to looking at things all the way from specific role all the way up to the entire organization. And it usually involves time, effort, and cost. And the combination of those things, we're trying to speed things up, lower costs, and reduce the effort. And so scale can be measured in so many different ways. But th- those are the types of things that I look at. And because I come from an automation background and, and really help start the, the marketing automation category for small businesses... I look at everything through that eye and and kind of the rule that I set in place and told all my employees is if if you do the same thing three times uh, in a a row, the same response, the same thing, you need to look at automating it. Um, And so that's kind of my rule. It's my rule of three.
0: Got it. And can that perspective or discernment or impetus for scaling, does it have to come from the leader or the leaders? Or can it come from the whole organization?
1: I think it starts with the leaders and it starts with building a culture of scale and automation and system, systematizing. I mean, if you go back to Michael Gerber and the E Myth, one of the original books around entrepreneurship, it's, it's, it's actually not about entrepreneurship. While it is, it's really about systematizing the business. And if you build a culture around that and hire people that are, looking at ways to systematize and automate then the entire organization benefits. So I think it does start with leadership, but make sure that you hire people that understand the value of scaling and automating.
0: No, that's great. It's great. Um, as you know, I work a lot with CEOs mm-hmm. and there's a conversation around, especially given some of the big players like uh, caricatures, like Elon or Bezos or Zuck, is there a is there a prototype or maybe a risk tolerance or risk profile for a scaling ceo
1: uh that's a great question i i think there are so many um i also live in the bootstrap world uh so i'm 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 hesitant to buddy up with the the people that are getting all of the accolades and the camera time, and you know the big VCs and the big players, because I do think there's a lot of creativity in the bootstrappers and in the solopreneurs and the ones that are out there really grinding. Like they can absolutely do it too. Um, but is there a mentality? Is there a certain risk profile? I think it's just somebody um they need to be open to the idea of things can be better, and it actually um so one of one of my um, one of my fellow executives at an old company was was into military, and he always used to say. And and I think this is a saying in 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 the and I, I'm gonna butcher it. So if anybody's in the military, I really apologize. <laughs> You'll have to
0: do pushups. We'll, we'll make you do pushups. It's okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But SEAL teams and these these elite forces that go in, the saying is slow is fast and fast is slow. I mean, if you go in with guns ablazing, you're gonna get obliterated. But if you go in and you're very Slow and precise, and you take the time, you're much more successful. I think the same is true for any size business, for any industry. Sometimes CEOs need to, we think we need to go fast all the time, but we actually create a lot of mess doing that. If we slow down and assess and take a moment to look at what could be scaled here? What could be automated? What really matters? What numbers should I be looking at? Uh, I've seen tremendous benefits in doing that and seen others, thousands of others benefit in in doing that. Um, My business partner, Brad Martineau is actually superbly skilled at looking at systems and taking the time to define them, because in defining them, you understand them and then you can improve them and automate them, systematize and scale.
0: Uh, I know Brad a little bit as well. And he, you're right, he's a, he's a measure cut or measure twice, cut once. Uh, yeah. He doesn't make the same mistake twice. He makes sure that if something's broken, they fix it forever. Um, and I get it. You're a little bit more willing to say, Give me a machete, I'll hack my way through.
1: Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: And you'll figure, and you'll figure it out. Um, yeah.
1: Point fire and then aim. That's me. (laughs) Yeah.
0: There you go. Um, I'm curious is, uh, our, our systems structures, maybe I'll give you four systems structures, raw talent or culture, the biggest impact on scaling. Which one has the biggest impact on scaling?
1: I, I have to say systems.
0: As a non-systems guy, I like that. That's a good answer.
1: Yeah, I, I, because over the past 20 years of being in this industry in marketing and sales automation, um, I, I see it time and time again. It, systems went out every time over time. Initially, you might have a rock star like a top-tier player that can just get it done. Um, but time time is the true tell. Yeah. <laughs> and systems will win every single time, in my opinion, in my experience.
0: We have this conversation a lot. If you want your, take a sales group, if you want your sales group to go after bigger deals, change their commission structure. Don't don't teach them to go after bigger deals. Just change the commission structure, disincentivize small deals and, and optimize big deals and they will naturally figure it out and they'll grouse a little bit and then, then figure it out and it's a structural or systematic change. Yep. I'm uh, I I don't, I think you're a bigger, you're probably a bigger fan of culture than I am, but I'm, I'm not a big fan that our culture is going (laughs) to scale because cultures are too easily manipulated.
1: Yeah yeah culture is a great way to get people that fit well and work well together um, but ultimately so that they can contribute to the system and be part of the system and and really when we when we um, when we grow our businesses we look to systematize and scale everything possible, and the objective is that we could have a playbook in any role where if somebody um, takes a leave or, or quits or gets fired that we can plug somebody back in. They can read that playbook and they know how to operate in that role and get everything done that needs to be done. So I, I, yes, the more I think about it systems a hundred percent of the time,
0: they don't have to be an A player to be able to plug and play. They, they could be a, they can be a B minus player and say, okay, they filled the hole and it only took them a couple of days to get up and run it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. Um, I'm curious. The, the The show is literally for uh, founders and entrepreneurs to showcase a little bit of their entrepreneurial journey. I'm always fascinated with a hack or um, maybe a hidden advantage that you've figured out that has been super helpful in your entrepreneurial journey. Do you Do you have a uh? Uh, an example or two of of uh, specific hacks that you've figured out that most people say, I don't know what he does there.
1: <laughs> uh, one that immediately comes to mind um, because I live in the um, more the marketing sales, business development side of the CEO world. I'm not a product CEO. I'm a marketing sales CEO. Um, and, and because of that, in in the different businesses that I've been involved with and in, in growing building creating um, I have always gotten an advantage in finding partnerships and influencers that already have a a following and connecting them that, with them in a way with the, the 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 niche leader the influencer connecting with them in a way that would have them see our software or offering as valuable for their followers and then them becoming an affiliate to then promote. Um, That has been the most effective way to launch something for us time and time again. Uh, And that has been a nice little hack that we've been able to use multiple times um, to get things launched. It's those initial weeks months quarters uh that you know you, you don't have a lot of marketing budget you don't have a lot you know to to be able to do uh to get it to market and so finding somebody that's that is a that you pay after the fact uh a rev share or something yeah
0: it's a variable cost
1: yes that has been golden for us
0: yeah no, that's great that's great so I'm just curious um you'd have to perhaps keep it to fairly household names but if uh if the CEO role came up in the perfect organization where your skill set would fit would you would you be the perfect person to run I'm thinking of marketing organizations Amazon or um I'm I'm trying to think of of noteworthy marketing organization name a company or two where you say Oh, I'd be an unbelievably good fit for that CEO role. Not that you're, not that we're going to do a coup, uh, but where would you fit?
1: It would most likely be with an unknown company. Okay. Uh, a small company that has really cool technology.
0: So define small, like rev- revenue-wise or? Under a million. Okay, under a million. Got it. So small headcount.
1: Small headcount. Uh, it's going to be a grind. You're going to be playing ten different roles as the CEO. That excites me. And uh, instead of going to a larger, established company uh, with a, a huge salary and variable component, like that's not as interesting to me. Um, it, it's it's that initial stage of launching something and growing it. I love the the pioneering side of things. I'm not an inventor, um, but when I see a really good idea, um, I love being the advocate for that and helping turn it into something and create it into something that's a viable, you know, business. Um, so getting into a larger business not as interesting for me. The Having a board, having to respond to investors or uh, the market, you know, uh, not as interesting to me. Um, So that early stage, I love it, and it's gonna be. It has to be in software. Um, Now, having said that, I would love to play advisory role to different things that I'm interested in. Um, You know, ocean conservation, outdoor sports and recreation, those types of things that are hobbies. I would love to be an advisor for those types of organizations. But in terms of growing and day-to-day grind, give me something early stage and I'll love it, especially if it's in software.
0: Yeah, uh, that's, that's interesting. I'll make, I'll make some calls. I'll make some calls. <laughs> yeah. I'll let my people talk to your people. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. Uh, so I'm going to go a little different direction. If you're an entrepreneur, and I have people tell me they're an entrepreneur, and then I say, how many times have you put payroll on the line of credit tied to your personal residence they say oh i, I would never do that and i go got it you're a, you're a junior entrepreneur you're a you're an entrepreneur in in theory um i'm curious the the biggest um screw up or bad decision or mistake that almost killed you that you're grateful for the most now because it it uh it actually turned out to be a huge lesson for for your development?
1: Oh, wow. Uh, I actually have many. Um, the one that comes to mind is...
0: It's, that's because you're an experienced entrepreneur. <laughs> and,
1: uh, experience those, failure. You're like scars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, just a side note, my license plate on one of my cars is FYRD, the number 5X. Fired five times. Oh, gosh. Uh, yep. Yep. So I, I, working for others has not worked out for me well over time.
0: You, you're, str- you have a strong enough a point of view that you don't work well for others. You work well with others, but not for others. I got it.
1: Horribly unemployable. Yeah. Um, I would have to go back to this was roughly 12 years ago, 11 years ago, something like that, mm-hmm. when, um, I was, we were just starting to get Sixth Division, our consulting company, going. Um, we had no revenue, no real revenue. We were investing in the business, growing it, trying to figure things out.
0: So let me, so let me define investing. You were writing checks out of your personal account to, pay, to make expenses? That's right. That's right. Yeah, good. I, I, got, I want to make sure that we don't... Uh...
1: Yep. Not taking any salary or compensation, no draws, no nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, we saw an opportunity to sponsor a a user conference where we would have a a breakout session in the evening and be able to present our services and and actually pitch at that event. Um, I believe it was thirty grand for that sponsorship money we did not have, which we signed up for anyways. Um, We, that same day, my business partner was receiving emails and has copies of them from both his business and personal accounts that his bank, he had overdrawn both accounts. Both of them. Yep. Um, I'm on the verge of doing the same thing. I had a little bit more runway. Uh, That night, we presented... We sold, we were selling a six thousand dollar consulting package and we sold 66 of them in an hour and a half session. So all of a sudden we had this huge windfall. Um, and we're processing order forms the next day, the very next day. We're, you know, using our merchant account to process. We take credit card only. We're not we're not messing around with invoicing and all that. We're give me your credit card and let me run it. Well, Um, Amex did not like that because we were a new entity all of a sudden had a bunch of orders.
0: And and before that you were flatline, you had like one order in six months and they go, who are these guys? What are they? It must be illegal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. To make a long story short, they locked up quarter of a million dollars for almost an entire year. And we went from nothing to party time to, How are we going to survive this? Because we have... Because
0: now you have to deliver the service, too.
1: We have to deliver the service, which meant these people flying out to Phoenix, Arizona for two, three days at a time, being with us, us providing food and...
0: Yeah, hotel room or a hotel ballroom, all that stuff.
1: Paying coaches and consultants to help us deliver the services So we went about six, another six months without paying ourselves. And seeing this quarter of a million dollars locked up with Amex, me calling daily to try and get it released, that was an experience in being forced to be prudent and frugal. And I am so glad that it happened because it taught us so many lessons uh, because we would have blown through that money. And it, it was a huge blessing in disguise and and taught us to really protect cash flow and not trust merchant processing. I was
0: going to say, was the mistake not understanding the merchant processing agreement or relationship? Because if they're Amex and they'll just say, talk to legal. Yeah, we're not giving you your money.
1: It was not understanding the merchant processing world. And the absolute control that they have of, of your funds, if they want to hold on to it, they have total right and, and there's nothing you can do. So you need to have backup plans. You need to have lines of credit. You need to bootstrap it, whatever it is. And, and we had to figure that out. So that was a huge, a huge. Learning.
0: Well, you had to do that for a year. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That is yeah. that's colossal. Yeah.
1: It was brutal. We received our funds from any cards that were processed through Visa or MasterCard, but Amex locked up a hundred percent of what was processed to them. And that was like half of the revenue.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. I couldn't imagine. But you're right. Uh it's funny how that could be a blessing in disguise because now you've got to yeah. discern what you're gonna spend money on and still be frugal and all that stuff. Oh, that's great. That's great. So um I'm curious, uh you you, you kind of answered the question that you optimized for systems or your leaning is to say, to scale, let's, let's build systems and processes. Do you have multiple optimization for specific teams? So does your finance team optimize for something different because they're, because of what they do and your sales team Or how do you, how do you manage that? And how do you get it to roll up to the one overarching optimization for the team?
1: We have, so we have each role and each department, uh, we spend time with them to optimize what to look at, what matters most to them, to the department and to the business overall in terms of numbers and what they look at and what ultimately matters for them, what they do. Um, After that, we have a, a, we've created a, a dashboard. It's a Google sheet. It's very rudimentary in most of our businesses, but it shows us the owners and the the operators of the business exactly what we need to see and so i get that posted to me every week by our operations manager and i at a glance know everything that i need to know and it's fully optimized um now things do come up uh on a week-to-week basis that uh, are you know new projects or new things to look at or Hey this thing this process that has been running for the past 8 years no longer produces what it used to we need to go look at it we'll, we'll do that in our weekly meetings or one-on-ones so yeah it's it's all the way from individuals up to the entire entity um you know the the things that we're looking at and and these dashboards that we create they're you know one would say they're very um ugly and why don't you have pretty software to show you your KPIs. And well, when you're a small business, you don't have that. You don't have the luxury of that. It's like... You
0: probably don't need it either.
1: You don't need it either. It's overkill. So let's use a Google Sheet and we'll update it week to week.
0: And if you don't do that, are you scaling dysfunction or failure? If you don't, if you don't uh, shine a spotlight on it weekly?
1: Yes. Yes. Uh,
0: that's interesting. One of my CEO clients this week, and he said it's killing him that they have milestones and it's a pass fail. He said, So, Dave, how'd you do? And they say, Well, like, I made some good progress. They go, It's not a progress thing. You either had to pass or fail. If you, at what point did you know you couldn't hit it? And why didn't you raise your hand and say, and uh, it, drives them, it drives them nuts. But this, this idea of putting a focus and a spotlight, um, as, uh, as he, as he says, he wants to burn the bushes. He wants to get, get rid of all the hiding spots. And, uh, um, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's funny. We at least give them three levels. We give them a green, yellow, red.
0: That's the, that's the system I like too. Yeah. You can have a red, but you can't show up and just be red all week and say, I've been failing all week. I just didn't want to tell you. No, you can't do that.
1: Right, or consistently green, and then all of a sudden it's red. Like, wait a minute, what what happened to yellow? Why didn't I know at least this week that it had turned yellow?
0: <laughs> right. No, it's a constant mirror for people to say, where really am I? And, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Um, th- we have a theory that a company can only scale, they can't scale faster than the pace the CEO is scaling their own capability or capacity. Fair or no, or not fair?
1: I can see how that would be true. Um, but I would also hope that a CEO would bring in people that are much more capable than him or her. Yep. And in my case, that's true. Like, I count on my people to be way smarter than I am in what they do. Um, and be able to scale what they do better than I could. So I, I, I think that's true, but also, um, you, you have to ditch the ego. I, I'm not going to pretend that I hold all the reins and know everything. And I'm, I'm really counting on my team, um, to, to run faster than I can, especially as I, uh, get involved in more and more organizations and opportunities. I'm, I'm present less and less, uh, for them. And so they, they, I, I have to count on them to keep running with the baton. No,
0: that's interesting. But you, you still hold the vision and you still fund the company and you still do the traditional CEO roles and your results come through other people.
1: Yes. Yeah. In fact, just, just two days ago, uh, my business partner and I were, were discussing our involvement in some different things and just reiterated the importance of, okay, the the vision and strategy, we have to be involved in that as the owners and, you know, top-level operators. As, as distant as we want to be from the day-to-day operations of certain things, we just have we – can't, we can't delegate that. Like we can involve other people in the strategy and vision, but it has to come from the top, has to.
0: Yeah. No, that's, I, I find that to be the same. No, that's, it's great. Cause it's, um, I can tell you how many clients, CEO clients I've had who call me and say, I can't believe it. The board had a meeting and they, I'm out. Yeah. And they're mystified by that. And they've been struggling with growth forever. And you say, yeah, you've crapped out. They gave you a year to To go at least a little like this, not like, not like this, but like this, and you couldn't do it, yeah, the board isn't going to keep you around, and people are it's like how can they do it, but the c e o stopped scaling uh, yeah, yeah, that's interesting that's interesting
1: um
0: what other insights about scaling or what questions should I have asked you about scaling that i didn't
1: uh i've I've thought about this a little bit, and it's come up only because um a couple of our entities are over 10 years old and so they've they've been around a little bit yep and in the software world that's a very long time
0: yeah that's that's a dinosaur yeah that's a long time yeah
1: exactly and i think one one important thing to consider uh is that when you scale your operations your systems your processes your your people whatever it is Sometimes you actually have to de-scale and decouple things and and intentionally break it.
0: Tear them down.
1: Tear them down because what happens uh and I've seen this time and time again, you become very complacent and you start to lose touch with what is actually going on. You stop testing, you stop knowing what's happening, you stop knowing what's going on, what the experience is for your customer or your client. And that can be really dangerous. Um, And so we've started to kind of cycle back through some of the things that we've scaled to look at them and break them down and rebuild because they're either not producing what they used to, or we've lost touch um, with what's going on or with our customers and I'm sure many listening might be saying, "Yeah, that's great for somebody else." Or I know uh, a, I've got a, a CEO buddy or entrepreneur who could absolutely use that um, that that knowledge. But like, use it for yourself, and consider that maybe you don't know your customers so well. Maybe you don't know your customer journey very well. Maybe things have changed the past couple years, couple months where you need to reconfigure some things. Um, so that, that is the one thing that I would drop is, is, is that, is to, to consider that.
0: And it makes so much, the world's changing so fast. A system you created that was brilliant two years ago may still be functional, but it's probably not brilliant anymore. It's probably not leading edge or bleeding edge anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, fun question we have for all of our guests. Uh, if we took a National Geographic film crew, like you know, that that to track of um, you know, a, a herd, a, what not a herd, a pride of lions for, forever, and then they do the nature show. If we had done that at your junior high school for like a semester, seventh, eighth grade, based on what National Geographic was able, this is this is who Dave is as a junior high guy. Would we have gone to Vegas and and bet a, a huge future bet on oh? 15 years from now, this guy's going to be a total rock star, and he's going to be killing it in business? Or would we have said maybe juvenile hall or penitentiary?
1: <laughs> I think National Geographic would have said, uh, this is a pretty level-headed kid who likes to have fun, loves adventure, uh, likes to skateboard with his buddies, likes to build things. We used to build skate ramps and stuff. We hadn't, you know we find the materials right <laughs> to be able to do that um, a a kid who um is starting to gain some confidence um, is is organized, and yeah, I think they would bet on me
0: all those things were present then
1: yes yes
0: that's funny i pick I picked that age on purpose because. I've never heard somebody say, oh, my best years were 7th and 8th grade. If you peaked in 7th and 8th grade, then your life is pretty miserable. Yeah, because who didn't have braces or, or pimples or a bad haircut that you thought was cool or whatever? Yeah,
1: yeah it was, that was a, a formative time in my life because we had just moved to Northern California. From
0: where? From Utah. Oh, geez. Yeah. So. Not, like they're, not like they're different, Utah and Northern California.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and, and so that was a, a scary, exciting time in my life um, to, to make that change. And
0: so you're the new kid on day one of junior high. Yep. Wow. Yep. That's a tough enough transition just to go with the kids you were already with. But now to be the new kid, that's really hard.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that really did help me prep for for just change in general because this was you know the early '80s um, when computers were barely a thing. I mean, we're talking right. Atari 800, Atari 1200.
0: Right, you had to be a total nerd to be using a computer. Yeah,
1: total nerd. We we I think a couple of years later we got an IBM uh, PC clone. Uh, and, and I started to play around with that. Um, Prodigy came to our high school our, my sophomore year. So that was probably 84, 85. That was the first inter- ISP in the Bay Area. Pre, Pre-AOL, pre-56K modem, you know, it, like and those, those were formative years for a guy that ended up loving software and tech and the internet and yeah. SaaS. So,
0: yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, Dave, thank you for being uh, our guest today on Genius at Scale. For, for our audience, uh, thank you for, for viewing, and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. All the best. Thanks for joining us today. Are you ready to scale? If so, invest three minutes in our scalability index. It's simple, easy, and gives specific guidance. Find it at evokinggenius.com slash scale. All the best.